while you have the skeleton of the story, the bare bones, the facts, the events, the plot, even the characters of the story, you still do not have the story itself. Because you don't have the thoughts of David, what was really running through his mind and heart when Absalom, his son, rebelled against him. So to add to this wonderful reading done by these wonderful folks, I add the thoughts of David, for Scripture does record them, in the third psalm. And this is my text. Psalm 3, the prescript, prescript of which says, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of, of me, God, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lie, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because... <laughs> because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies in the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. For from the Lord, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. It was a scene that Jerusalem had never seen before. David, King David, the man after God's own heart, the champion of Israel and of Israel's God, was fleeing for his life. Fleeing, mind you. Running. David had always entered Jerusalem triumphantly, victorious. He always entered into celebration and to parades. He never fled Jerusalem. He only left Jerusalem to return a conquering hero. David never ran, period, from anything, from anyone, until today. Today he is fleeing fleeing Jerusalem, a city that he himself conquered, a city that in his own kingdom he made its capital and chief city. He elevated its status in the world to one of the great cities of all the world. He filled it with treasures and wealth, with prestige and with power. It was his city. It even bore his name. They called it Jerusalem, the city of David. It was the centerpiece of David's kingdom. It was a city set on a hill, a shining light. It was indeed Zion. But now, this day, now the officials and residents of Jerusalem watched with horror 
as David abandoned the city that bore his name. Fleeing the throne that he had been on for years and years, leaving the citizens of Jerusalem deserted by its champion. The nation had never witnessed the sight of a defeat of David. David always conquered. David always, always was victorious. His life was the stuff of legend. Children were told of his shepherding exploits with the lion and the bear and how courageous he was as a young boy. Teenagers were regaled with the story of him taking off the armor of King Saul and defeating the giant Goliath with a few smooth stones and a slingshot. Young men heard of David, the conquering general, heard of his undefeated military genius and studied his campaigns. And young women were told of his victorious parades and of him dancing nearly naked as he returned from victory before the Lord. Oh, the stories, the stories they told of David. And he lived up to them all, except for today, except for this day. David had expanded the promised land beyond its borders. He had received tribute from nations and kings, small and large, emperors, Emperors and nations bowed down before him. The Lord was with David. You knew it because David always won. But on this day, on this sad and terrible day, all the Jewish officials and royal court, all that they could see was an undefeated king suffering his first and most humiliating and devastating defeat. The sting David feels this day is real because the usurper of his throne is not some petty despot that managed to outmaneuver David in military strategy. It's not some power-hungry general that is bent on conquering the world with his military might. It's not some political fixture and intrigue that has outmaneuvered him. No, no, no. It's much worse than that. But the person who is usurping his throne is David's own son. His favorite son. It's Absalom. It's the crown prince. It's the king in waiting has decided that he will wait no more. The people can see how deep the wound goes. As David prepares to flee Jerusalem, it's on his face, the betrayal of his own flesh and blood cut so deep that it's as if you can see him bleeding as he walks by them. If there is not blood on his, blood on his body, there is blood in his soul. There is anguish in his heart. There is a wound deep inside his spirit that will not heal. And you can see it on his face. And you can feel it in his gait. But at that moment, what none of them could see 
what none of them could initially perceive is that as they see him in pain, David has already begun to turn his anguish into an anthem. He has turned his pain into poetry. For David, ever the lyricist, has a soulful refrain that is stuck in his mind. As he packs hurriedly to leave his city, he cannot help thinking about this one line over and over again. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? In the hand of lesser men and lesser poets, it would be a lament. It would be a cry for justice. It would be out of an angry and disappointed soul. It would be an expression of hopelessness and defeat. It would be his vocalization of his own depression. But to David, to David this is different. To David it has the tinge of belief and trust and hope and even grace. It is the opening salvo of a cry of faith and belief that is forming deep within his poetic soul. How many are my foes, he thinks to himself. This isn't the first time, David, that you have had many foes against you. You've been outnumbered most of your life. You went into battle, and you were always outnumbered from the time you faced Goliath until the last battle that you went into. You were never outnumbering people. You always, almost always, were outnumbered by your foes. Why should this be any different? Just because you're outnumbered doesn't mean you've lost. How many are my foes, David thinks to himself, and then remembers this isn't the first time his family has turned against him. Not in the least. It's not the first time he's been threatened by them. It's not the first time he's been wounded by members of his own household. His first wife, Michal, turned on him, left him. His father, King Saul, hunted him for years and years, attempting to kill him in numerous ways. Oh no, this is not the first time David has felt the sting of his own family. But but today is different. Today it's not his in-law's household. It's his own son. It's tougher when it's your own flesh and blood. When it's your own child. When it's the apple of your eye. Your son should be your ally, not your adversary. He should be your friend, not your foe. But what David cannot grasp, even in his poetic soul. What David cannot grasp, his officials in the city of Jerusalem has seen coming. For David is a great king beyond any other. He is the epitome of a king. But the reality is he is a terrible, terrible father. David's affair with Bathsheba is an open secret in the palace. It's rumored and whispered, even if it isn't spoken of aloud. And they have seen David's children capitalize on that indiscretion, that moral failure of their father. So much so that as a result, they've come to believe in their own superiority over everyone else. They live a life of privilege, their attitudes towards others negligent. They are morally ambiguous children who believe that they can get away with anything. 
The story of Amnon, David's oldest, comes to mind. In a fit of lust and rage, he desires his own half-sister, brings her by pretense into his bed, and rapes her, deflowers her, destroys her. She begs for him not to do it, but I'm Amnon. I'm David's son. He took what he wanted. I'll take what I want. And she is destroyed. What does David do as a result? Nothing. What could he do? What moral outrage could he show? considering what he did to Bathsheba, and even worse, to her husband Uriah. Absalom has lived in this, absolutely enraged by his own father's lack of action. Absalom bides his time, but he takes action, and he takes the life of Amnon. What are the consequences for him killing his own brother of moving up the line, the pecking order toward the crown? What what is his punishment? What is his imprisonment? Almost nothing. A few years away in isolation and then brought back and given all the rights and privileges he once had. But the crowd knows, but what David does not seem to be able to, to realize is that his real foes have never been armies and warriors and soldiers and battles. It's never been weapons and spears. His real foes are his own family, his own children, his way too many wives, his absent parenting skills, his sexual appetite. It's his own moral equivocations that are coming back to haunt him this day. So there are those in Jerusalem that watch this scene and they are not surprised, not surprised in the least that it is David's family, his son, that has overtaken him. But while that might be intrigue, the real question, the thing that was at the heart of everyone's mind that day was not just that it was David's parenting that had caused this problem or that his moral failure had caused this problem. No, what was really on the mind of all people, what was really on the mind of David was a singular and important question, the biggest one of all, and that was, will God save him? For God had protected David in battle after battle from Goliath on down. He had protected this, his man, after God's own heart. Would he abandon him to exile? Would he save him once again? But as the crowd is wondering whether God will protect David, whether God will give him his power and his favor, David is already forming that answer in his own mind. He has already determined what the answer is to the great question of the day. Will God abandon me? David's resounding answer in his soul is God will not. Why won't he abandon me? It's not because I am king. It's not because I have the throne. It's not because I have power. It's not because I am who I am. It is because God is in the saving business. God's nature 
is flooded with grace and love, forgiveness and hope. God, you see, to David is a shield. God is, for David, an impenetrable shield. You cannot change the nature of God. And God surrounds me with his love and mercy and grace, not because of me, but because it is the nature of God. <coughs> like Moses, with his back to the Red Sea, facing the Egyptian hoofbeats. David knows. He knows full well what it's like to be in a corner. Like Joshua, facing the fortified walls of Jericho. He knows that even obstacles that seem insurmountable can come crumbling down. And in the midst of his despair, in the midst of fleeing Jerusalem, God answers him from his holy hill. Why does God answer? Because it is the nature of God to answer with hope and grace. You see, the grace of God is greater than David's sin, greater than his failures, and greater than Absalom's rebellion. Slowly but surely, David's countenance begins to change. <clears throat> the fear that has been evident on his face, the anguish that has been present, seems to suddenly be replaced by contentment, even a faith. Collapse has been replaced by confidence. Betrayal has been replaced by belief. David did not fear armies. David did not fear kings or battles. He did not fear death or defeat. He did not fear hundreds. He would not fear thousands. He would not fear tens of thousands. Why would he would not fear such things? Because he has been eternally assured that deliverance and rescue, that real help comes not from some geographic place and not from a crown that you wear and not from a throne that you sit on and not from wealth that you have and power that you exhibit and titles that you own. No, deliverance comes from one place and one place alone. Deliverance comes from God and God is still here. Suddenly, David is alive again. He's barking orders. He's back to being the general in charge. He's making plans on the move, adapting things as they go. You go here, you stay here, you do this, you do that. And this deposed and defeated king is suddenly back in charge because he knows, because he believes, because he trusts that God will deliver not the king's power that prevails. David knows this. It's God's deliverance that prevails. For darkness may last for a night, but victory, joy, and peace, they come with the morning. So as the officials follow King David as he flees Jerusalem, their retreat is suddenly turned into a resolve. As his countenance changes, so does the countenance of his officials and followers. Their despair suddenly has a tinge of expectation to it. Their sadness is turned into a modicum of rejoicing. For they will look back one day 
They will look back one day on this moment. They will look back on this day at this time, on the moment that King David was fleeing Jerusalem at the time of his greatest defeat, and they will come to realize this was not David's greatest defeat. This, this was David's greatest victory. For on this day, David shown everyone that you can trust in the Lord no matter what. For in this moment, he taught them all that God is as real and faithful in the tough moments, that God is as real and faithful in the failures, that God will meet you in the valley of the shadow of death as surely as he will meet you in the victories and in the triumphs. And for his last act on that day, for his final statement, David penned this poem. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, you, O oh Lord, you are a shield around me. You are an impenetrable shield. You bestow glory on me and lift my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me. He answers me. He answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord, the Lord, the Lord has sustained me. I will not fear tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, arise, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. From the Lord comes deliverance. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be upon your people, O God. See you.